0: Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Taha Lokandwala, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle and Adrian Lowcock, Head of Personal Investing at Willis Owen. No one knows what lies ahead and the fluid political and economic situation in the UK makes it even harder to try and build up a picture of what might influence the investment landscape in the year ahead. However, Well-informed investors can still try and assess the possible effects of what we do know. So every year, we ask leading fund managers for their outlooks on the year ahead. Taha, you spoke to several fund managers. So starting with the broader picture, what are the investment prospects for the year ahead on a global basis?
1: Hi, Leonora. Um, So I spoke to Simon Edelston, who's uh, manager of the Midwind International Investment Trust, and uh, David Kerr, who's of TB Saracen Global Income and Growth. And the general message from these two was to focus on the, the kind of fundamentals, look at the, the broader economic picture, ask the question, is there going to be a global economic recession in 2019? Now, th- their answer is probably not. So in that gives you somewhere to start. So in that environment, you know, there are still some sectors which you can find growth and find good valuations. Um one thing they did say is that there's going to be slowing growth, but it, will never, it won't turn negative in 2019. That's something possibly for the 2020, 2021 situation. So Simon Elsdon he, he says automation, he thinks automation is going to be a big theme next year. Now, automation obviously is a, is a much longer, wider theme. But he says that 2018 has actually seen a lot of companies put automation investment plans on hold. Um, because that was due to trade wars and uncertainty and things like that, so he thinks um automation of industry is going to be quite a big thing, so if you can find companies that are either investing in automation and therefore will see their margins improve or companies that are involved in automation, that would be quite a good thing um david Kerr was um he says that despite there being a lot of worries you've got you know trade issue trade concerns europe um potentially self imploding once again and then you know, obviously the u k and and the situation we have over here um but despite this, he doesn't think it's time to back defensive um, equities, which are still quite expensive. He thinks there's still some value in growth out there as well.
0: Okay. Now, on the subject of the UK, the market that is of most concern to investors is usually their whole market, as that is typically where they have most of their assets. So what do the UK managers you spoke to expect?
1: Now, this, this is where it gets really interesting. Now, you would think just that the, the market, the, the kind of investment returns we've seen in the UK this year, and just the, the lack of clarity over the political situation, you would expect some kind of bearishness from UK managers. Um, it's, it's it's absolutely the opposite. Um, so I spoke to Colin McLean of SVM UK Growth, Alex Wright, Fidelity Special Values, I'm sure many of our listeners are aware of him, um, and Scott McKenzie of TB Saracen UK Income. One of them said the UK is going to be the best performing market in 2019, just categorically said the valuations are so low that he thinks... The UK could could be one of the best-performing markets. Um, and the reason for that is, as as we've talked about many times on the show and written about in the magazine, is just the significant low valuations of the UK market. It's international investors have ditched it, um, mainly due to sterling and a lack of clarity. Domestic investors have equally left in their drones. We've seen that from retail fund flows. And just left valuations at, at rock bottom. And their kind of premise that the UK could do well is not actually based on what trade deal we will get with the European Union. It's just a clarification of a relationship and what that relationship will be. It doesn't really matter whether it's hard, soft or no Brexit at all. Colin McLean thinks that with real wage inflation at 3.3% and some clarity on how how we deal with the European Union, that should really help consumer stocks. Scott McKenzie, he's pointed to the three worst sectors this year, which is retail, house builders and property and things. Actually, that's, that's places where valuations are now fundamentally too low. And Alex Wright is, well, as a value manager as he is, he he just says this is peak bad news and now is the time to when to invest.
0: Adrian, these managers have a rather optimistic outlook for the UK in view of the political turmoil that's going on and especially as so far this year, UK funds have been among the worst performing sectors. Do you think they're too optimistic? Or, or what's your take on UK equities?
2: I, I think it's quite interesting. I mean, Alex's sort of comment about it being sort of peak pessimism. Um, it's probably not far from the truth. Um, I think it's very hard to sort of actually pinpoint that down because we've still got three and a bit months between now and and the 29th of march and there's clearly a lot that could happen that could sort of send sentiment one way or another so you're going to get more volatility in the short term but that is market volatility and not necessarily economic uh, volatility and i think this is this is sort of the point the stock markets are sort of pricing in worst case scenario they're largely pricing in a probably an accidental no brexit deal at the moment um and the sentiment is, is is around that idea is quite fiercely negative. Um, And that's why you get the valuations that are attractive. I think the UK economy, you know, it is growing and it has been sort of, okay, not strongly, but growing and, and steadily. And I think that's perhaps surprised people. And that suggests that even though Brexit has been weighing over the UK, UK economy, there is some fundamental health under it. Um And therefore, once you get that clarity over, over Brexit, you'll get perhaps a little bit more investment back in and, 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 and a bit more confidence back into the UK market. And international investors will start looking again. Um I think... You know, there are some sectors I would still be a bit wary of. I think, you know, for example, retail. I think there's, there's, you know, that isn't a Brexit issue. That's uh, digital. Um, and that's not going to change whether or not we, whatever deal we have. Um, but there are other areas that are clearly more domestically focused. The banks, the retailers, those, as uh, sort of other retailers, the, um, house builders, those are the sort of areas that could be, could, could be quite interesting. You've got to buy and hold for the longer term, though.
0: Okay. So, what would be good funds with which to exploit these better-looking areas?
2: So, um, we quite like the uh, Man GLG undervalued assets run by Henry Dixon and and Jack Barrett. Um, They're looking at uh, companies that are trading below uh, sort of their view of the company's value um, and there's a good uh, uh, sort of profit stream there. um, And effectively, it has a value buyer, so it's a value investor.
0: Okay. Now, I mean, this sounds potentially promising, but it, let's be honest. It's still quite a high risk play, even if the risks are priced in. So, I mean, how would you, you know, how would you, what would you say are the main risks? Obviously, we mentioned Brexit, but as we've been more specific, um, you know, what if you a UK uh, equities investor, you know, what should you be prepared uh, to happen?
2: So, I think uh, you've got to prepare for a, a fall in the pound. Um, that means that being in the UK. It doesn't. You don't benefit from it because um, you. Uh, so, you, well, you can do by having sort of diversification in the UK. So, having to met, uh, sort of more internationally focused companies in the UK, but also having exposure overseas. It's about being diversified. Uh, the UK, you know, theoretically enters recession, and that could be. Well, how deep that recession is, we wouldn't know. So that's that's the sort of the worst case scenario: is you enter recession, the pound collapses, the stock market tumbles, um, and you're sitting on a, a loss. You know. Uh, 5, 10, maybe, maybe more percent uh, loss, and you're sort of wondering why you, why you invest. And I think, you know, that's the very short and immediate term. Um, what the fund managers are sort of talking about and what they're getting to is the valuations are attractive, and that matters in the medium and longer term. And that's and, and so if you do invest in the UK, you've got to sort of look at it and go. This isn't a, a three-month issue. This isn't a six-month issue. This is a five to ten-year issue, and it's a five to ten-year of opportunity. So drip feed in, perhaps, um, and, and and just you know, and, and be prepared for the volatility.
0: Okay, thank you, Adrian. Some really helpful suggestions there. Now. The fund sector that has actually performed the worst so far this year uh, with a negative return of over 13% is not actually a UK fund sector, but European smaller companies, according to some figures you published earlier this week. So, Adrian, why are European smaller companies doing so badly?
2: It's a bit of a surprise, I think. People would have not put that there. Um, And and I think this is perhaps, from a UK point of view, we're obsessed with Brexit and and understandably so, but there's more going on uh, uh, in Europe than, than that. And, you know, uh, Europe has slowing growth, um, and that sort of has thrown a question mark over over the the sort of strength of the recovery that we've seen in Europe over the last couple of years. So I think that that sort of weighed on on it. They uh, were expected to and have this week announced cutting QE. And again, how does the Euro- European economy survive without that stimulus? Big question mark over that. Um, the US did very well about it. Out, out of it, they got they sort of had the acceleration. We don't know if Europe will be. Um, so some some question marks on it, and the polit- situation. I mean, Europe has always got political issues over, overhanging it. Um, and they're not small, um, but they're probably not the focus in the UK at the moment. So I think there's a lot of sort of um, headwinds that have either turned into, uh, sorry, tailwinds that have perhaps turned into headwinds for the Europe. And I think it's just a case that people are, again, it's just, they're, they're perhaps not overly excited by the growth that they're seeing at the moment. It could be temporary. I think it's a very difficult one to sort of decide at the moment. And I think it's a case of actually adopting almost a watch and wait uh, approach on, on Europe.
0: OK, I suppose that leads to what I was going to ask next. Uh, do you think European smaller companies funds will continue to do badly or could there be a good contrarian bet like some bullish investors think UK equities are? Uh,
2: so I think, uh, I mean, Europe as a whole, the valuation basis, it's cheap. It's not uh Incredibly cheap, but it is it is cheap. So, I wouldn't perhaps say it's a massive contrarian bet, but I think it, it's it's an area you still need to have exposure to. Um, I think the the political risk is still there, and 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 we'll just have to see. How it, it's a it's a difficult one to call, but I buy and but I buy exposure, but not uh, sort of overly confident with going uh, sort of extremely bullish on it at the moment.
0: Okay. Now, Taha, you spoke to the manager of a fund which focuses on larger dividend-paying European shares. Uh, what does he think the prospects are for the area that he invests in?
1: Oli Ross believes that there's, um, there'll be good earnings growth next year. There was actually good earnings growth this year. It just kind of got masked by uh, some of the political and some of the issues that Adrian mentioned. And earnings still have actually have a lot of room to run before they even get to where they were pre-financial crisis. Um, and that's gonna that that will have to happen at some point. There is, there is fundamental reasons for valuations to improve. It's just that they keep um, kind of self-inflicting wounds on themselves as a, as a continent, either, either via kind of politics or other things. But where he sees real value and excludes the pun is in in value. So European value valuations are now at rock bottom. Now, Mister Ross is going to say this is because he is a, a European income value, a European income manager with a strong value bias. But he's saying that, you know, the f- kind of valuation of financial stocks, for example, are, are incredibly low and yields are going to rise. As, as Adrian mentioned, QE is being slowly withdrawn. So European bond yields are going to rise. This is really beneficial for some of the financial stocks that have been beaten up. Namely, uh, insurers is where Mr. Russ is, is putting his bets. So European insurers, you know, household names, AXA, Allianz, uh, things like that. These are, are good, strong companies that are only going to benefit if yields start to rise as well.
0: Okay, um, it sounds very bullish. Fair. Of any areas he's not so bullish on?
1: Uh, yeah, as as a value manager, again, he's um, it's a small sector, but still an important sector is, is European tech. Uh, that's where he's uh, he's not so keen. Um, and yeah, that's again mainly because he's he's fundamentally backing a value reversion in 2019. He expects value to outperform growth in 2019. Um, and I would stress this, and this came up quite a lot. I'm just going to uh, pick on. Um, Ollie Russ, but this was a common theme throughout the entire feature is that value should outperform growth in in 2019. Now, my only concern with that is that I i suspect if you go back to <laughs> this feature last year and the feature year before that, and I'm sure Adrian could back me up on this, um there'll be managers saying the exact same thing. Uh, and I'm just, while they're fundamentally right, yes, at some point value will outperform growth we are getting into a stop clock situation where if they just keep saying it every year at some point they'll turn around and say yes we were right but this ignores the fact that everyone has been back trying to or buying into value funds for the last couple of years and underperforming significantly and i'm not saying you shouldn't be doing that because i think again at some point value will outperform but we can't keep kind of hanging our hat on this and expecting it to happen so i just that's my my one note of caution you know you try and
2: predict these you'll get it right eventually but you know if you're building a portfolio you have to have exposure to both at all times because you don't know when it will turn exactly and it will probably catch a lot of people out by surprise and it can turn quite quickly.
0: Yeah. Um, On that note, um, would you agree that European financials look like they offer good value?
2: Uh, That's an interesting one. I mean, I think European financials are still – there's still problems in that that sector. They're not uh, as far down the road, certainly as the uh, US financials and not even as the UK financials at the moment. So I think they're cheap. I think there are going to be some opportunities there because as a value investor, you've got to get in early. um, But – you know there are going to be some value traps in there at the moment, so I think it's still quite a risky sector. Um, it is certainly a value sector, um, but you know not not everything in that space is is necessarily actually a value investment.
0: Okay, so more generally, do you think European equities are a good area at the moment for equity income?
2: Uh, I think they are. Um, I think quite interestingly, just on that point, uh, uh, to sort of bring back in the UK, the UK is now at one of its widest spreads to the rest of the world on, on its dividend yields. So, and, and the UK has always historically been a great place for, uh, for income. But it just, just to highlight that, you know, it, mm. I think to put it in context, the UK is actually probably even more attractive at the moment. Um, I think, you know, you've got, uh, Europe's a bit further behind on the recovery, so the earnings growth will come through and that will support income uh, there and, and you know there are some very good uh, companies in europe that have strong strong yields and are very well managed companies so i think it's an important area to have exposure to and an income diversification in income across different countries and different regions and different asset classes is very important And europe sh- should play a part in that
0: yeah i mean just as so if you look across the globe what would you say is the best region at the moment for equity income or is a one standout region
2: um, the uk is a standout yeah. at the moment because of that uh, mm. uh difference but i think also you've got to look at emerging markets where you've got the dividend growth which is very strong as well um so you don't necessarily get the high yield but you get the growth in the yield at the moment but with that comes a lot of volatility a lot of risk uh, uh and we've seen that this year um but it's it, it, you know it's, it's it just shows you what happens when you've got strong growth under the, in the underlying economy, it does eventually feed into corporate earnings, which feeds into dividend
0: yields. Okay. So what funds would you suggest for getting exposure to UK equity income and emerging markets equity income?
2: Uh, So, for the UK, I'd go with uh, the Royal London UK Equity Income Fund. Uh, I think uh, Martin Chorwell, who manages that fund, is looking for yield and uh, competitive total returns for investors. Um, He targets companies with strong cash flow and, um, you know, he's looking at valuation on that. I think that's a good core fund to hold. As I said, emerging markets. I'd perhaps go more Asia income for mm-hmm. for for the answer, mm-hmm. and and go with something like Jupiter Asian Income. Um, I think that's a a good core fund, uh, very strong manager with a very strong process. Uh, Jason Peacock, you know, he's he's got a lot of experience running that fund, and I think mm-hmm. it's quite a good uh, fund. It hasn't necessarily performed as well in the last few years. Um, it's quite
0: a new fund as well. It's quite
2: a new so fund yeah. with Jupiter. Yeah, it's so. probably more to do with style than it is to do yeah. with actually him him Jupiter because he he you know he he's he's run that strategy before.
0: Yeah, um, at Newton Way had a, a great record. He did, yeah,
2: yeah. And, and, and I think the, the, and that's quite an interesting thing for investors who perhaps don't want the volatility of emerging markets uh, because you get that compounding effect. If you reinvest mm-hmm. the dividend, it can be very strong, and that's actually – was a large driver of his performance at his uh, previous place
0: okay thank you adrian some really good suggestions there now the second worst performing fund sector year to date has been china taha you spoke to the manager of a china fund what does he say and does he think the investment prospects for this area are going to get better going ahead
1: yes i spoke to uh, andrew mattock who's the manager of the matthews asia china fund and now it's been discussed, and we all know that Chinese equities have been, that Chinese equities have been really volatile this year. But he says there's, there's two ways to look at how the market might perform going forward, and that is looking at internal factors and external factors. Now the external factors are the, the much-discussed trade wars, global slowing, global growth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he says it's actually that, it, that should be less important when you're thinking about investing in China, and it's the internal factors that you need to be looking at. So he's you no know, going back to the familiar story of domestic consumption, rising middle class, etc. But there's he's he's pointed to some fundamental things here, and that's things like uh, singles day sales so singles day is, is i suppose the the closest thing we can get to a, a Chinese version of black friday um and sales this year were up twenty seven percent and this is online domestic demand consumer you know pure consumption but the other thing he's looking at is kind of um demographics and and geography so Tier three cities, he says. So these are tier one is Beijing, kind of you know cities with more than fifty million people. Tier two is perhaps three to three to ten million people. Tier three cities is one hundred and fifty thousand to three million, and there are hundreds of these cities. Like think about these are these are cities from anywhere between Chelmsford and bigger than Birmingham, and there's hundreds of them, and they are historically underserved, but yet they are growing, and there's there's people there who have. Whose income is growing and they've got no way to spend it, and he says if you start following that demand and that trend, these cities will eventually become served by everything that is consumer. That and he he writes, you know, there's anything from a dating app to an Indian takeaway, and if you just look at that growth, you can't you kind of can't ignore the opportunities there for companies to exploit that. And he says that's where that's where you should be looking at. And his other point is the valuation, like stock valuations, are at about 2008 levels. But the quality of companies so much higher than it was 10 years ago um, and they're, they're just better governance they're just better companies so if you kind of compound that together then there's a lot of room to run
0: okay uh, an optimistic outlook Indeed, a- yeah. Adrian um, why have China funds done badly certainly this year Um, And do you agree that prospects are better for them going ahead?
2: So I I think part of it is is sentiment on the US-Chinese trade war. Um, That's obviously had an impact with global investors. Um, I think also um, the Chinese economy back in sort of 2015, they had a few wobbles and the Chinese government put in a lot of stimulus. That stimulus sort of worked its way now through the system and and the government haven't sort of stepped in yet to to sort of support the economy. Um, And there's a question mark about whether they need to because the political situation doesn't necessarily warrant it at the moment um so i think that's sort of perhaps a bit of the reason why they they've, they've they've underperformed also you know they were led by the big techs which have sold off not just in uh, the u.s but also also in china a bit more i do sort of consider to agree i think you know the the chinese population it has you know it's it's now sort of Got tipping point of where it's now starting to age, but it's only just at the tipping point of where it's starting to age. There's still that urbanization going through. There's still the consumer demand growth going through. And that domestic demand growth is huge. I don't think the US Chinese trade war is as significant as, 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 it, as is made out. It's, it's only a fraction of gd percentage of GDP. The Chinese economy will slow. So it's whether, you know, but that will be managed. It won't be. we've seen it managed from sort of seven and a half to seven to six and a half. It'll be managed down, but growth, as a percentage, is still huge for the size of that economy. Um, and I think valuations do look look fairly attractive. Um, it, it, it's just every year, again, it's sort of we have that forecast that this will be the year that the Chinese, you know, do they have a hard landing or soft landing? It seems to come back perhaps every other year at the moment. I still sort of remain fairly positive on China. I think it's, 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 it's growth. It's got a command economy which actually can help sort of solve and avoid some of the problems. Um, and it's got a government in place who's looking at the, the, uh, the shadow banking system and trying to sort of find ways to deal with the sort of large debt issue that it has.
0: Okay, so there's a strong growth argument for China. What kind of investors could think about getting exposure to that?
2: If you invest individually in China, then you know, you've got to be quite uh, more of a adventurous investor. Um, it's a you know it still is any any individual emerging market country is still a risky investment uh, because any one year it can be at the top of the charts or at the bottom of the charts to be honest uh, and it is quite hard to predict which which one of those will be at the top. I think you've got to be a long term investor and I think it's got to be a ten year plus time horizon. So we usually talk five years, but I think you're closer to ten year plus. But I think if you want, but but I think if you go for a more diversified Asian approach, so get an Asian fund in there or a global emerging markets fund with China exposure, then that probably suits almost any investor. Because you get diversified, you only have a small amount of exposure to one particular area, and it's about how much exposure you have. Um, So it should form part of a portfolio. It's just how much and and how you access it.
0: Okay, and any funds you'd like to highlight?
2: We quite like the First Aid Asia Focus uh, uh, fund. Uh, This is run by Martin Lau. Uh, First Aid have got a great track record of emerging markets and Asian investing. Uh, They've got a very established process, and uh, they've got a a very strong process um so I think that would be quite an interesting fund they they also offer a first aid first aid also have a greater china fund if you want direct exposure to the to the region and that's again a very established um uh, a fund with a with a strong process and um c- backs off the same research um, and and depth of knowledge they have in the region
0: yeah but obviously for high risk investors
2: i would say so yeah
0: yeah okay right now we've been talking a lot about areas that haven't done so well so let's look at something a bit more positive an area that's been performing very well is technology shares and the best performing fund sector year to date according to willis owen statistics is technology and telecommunications Adrian, why is this? And do you think technology funds can continue to make strong returns?
2: So this this has been um, the, the, the sort of fundamental driver behind it is we've been – since the financial crisis, we haven't really seen much growth. Um, and uh, there wasn't a lot of confidence in the system, not a, not a lot of confidence amongst investors either for that matter. Um, and eventually, after a few years, we sort of clamped on to the fact that there are some – very very strong growth figures coming out of some of the tech giants uh and that has basically led to some incredible performance for them now i think at the beginning of 2018 we saw that just go through just the pace of acceleration in 2017 and 2018 of the, of the share prices or some of these was phenomenal um and it has put them on a bit of a pedestal and i think this is what's happening this is what we've seen sort of develop in 2018 the valuations of some of them got extremely high and they got to the point where the growth was there but the growth was priced for perfection so the tech company had to hit targets and, and and not just hit targets Beat them, smash them, um, and then we saw that not quite happen. Still pretty impressive figures, just they didn't smash them, and that, that's a sort of almost a cycle of investor behaviour. You sort of get you get behind an idea. It's a great company. It's doing very well. It's growing very rapidly, and then we expect that to continue at that same rate or better forever. And then the share price follows that, and eventually. It doesn't achieve it because it can't achieve the impossible. No company can, um, and the share price then comes back to earth a bit. Um, so that's that's sort of what's happened in twenty eighteen, um, and you know the price you pay for any company does matter on your returns because effectively you're buying, you're paying a multiple of future returns. So the more you pay, the longer you have to wait to get your returns. Effectively, um, I think the growth of tech companies is still going to go and it's still going to be there. It's just a case of. Uh, you have to choose your entry levels. It'll probably broaden out a little bit. It was very much led by the, the sort of the giants, the fangs of this world, um, and I think it'll broaden out. Uh, you know, tech is going to enter so many different companies, and it might not just be a tech company. It might be, if, if you take um, uh, Lintel Train, uh, Nick train who runs the Lintel Train Fund. You know, it, one of the themes he looks at is the digitization of everything, uh, how digital will affect any company. So he owns Pearson, which has been a trouble stock for him, but it's digitising its back, uh, its, its technology and its services. You look at Relics, it's digitizing its its services and, and and you know if they get that right then they're, they're, they're not necessarily tech companies but they're utilizing tech to make a very competitive business
0: okay so um, slightly broader than your traditional ones I suppose the question is um, like you said the area has done well is it too expensive to add new money to tech and particularly particular traditional Swiss so tech companies um
2: I don't I don't think it necessarily is I think what you may have what you risk is if, if you buy the, if you bought sort of a few months ago in, at the peak so sort of August time maybe you'd be you'd be nursing some heavy losses in some areas but it, um, uh, I think you'll get volatility in it um, I think some of the tech companies are still quite cheap on, on paper I mean uh, Apple's not ever been particularly expensive this year yet its it share price continued to rise um, and some people don't necessarily have a as a rosy outlook on Apple because it could be the that we've reached peak iPhone. Um, does does that matter as a business? That's the question that has yet to be answered. So, it, you know, it's it's fairly attractive. Microsoft is 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 doing very uh, impressive things in the, the cloud computing space, taking on the likes of Amazon, and they're not necessarily massively expensive. But then you get evaluations of things like Tesla, Netflix, Amazon. They're perhaps on a slightly different uh, trajectory at the moment, and diff- they're, they're sort of painted with a different figure. So I think tech as a whole is still... There's, there's potential there. Um, it's going to be about stock selection um, and it is going to be about expectations as well. But, the, the you know, tech is here. We're, we're in that. It's going to impact on every industry one way or another eventually. And there are going to be some fantastic opportunities for companies in that.
0: Now, Taha, you spoke to a tech fund manager. How does he think things are going to go?
1: Um, so this is quite interesting because uh, despite his his sector doing quite well, and the, this was uh, Walter Price of the Allianz Technology Trust, he, he was quite... Bearish compared to our UK and China equity managers, but he says so. We've seen some struggles in recent months. So some of the the returns of, that we saw in earlier twenty eighteen has, has started to come off. As Adrian mentioned, he he actually expects that to continue uh, until around um, June next year. He thinks that the momentum, the kind of downward momentum that you're seeing in terms of uh, kind of valuation concerns on tech stocks, that's going to to carry on. But what he does say is that that will then change about the halfway point in twenty nineteen because. And it goes back to what Adrian was saying as well about cloud computing and cloud spending. Company spending on on cloud computing has actually kind of come off a little bit in in recent months. But demand and supply issues, he said, will take hold. And therefore, demand will then start to rise in the second half of next year. And then we'll see revenues and revenue growth come back in towards the tech stocks. And therefore, the valuations will be either okay or even slightly undervalued. And so that's what he expects. It's going to be a volatile year for tech stocks. But he thinks by the end of the year, they'll still be up.
0: Okay, a few issues there. Adrian, what would you say are the main risks facing tech shares, um, obviously other than some of the ones we've already highlighted? Uh,
2: I think regulation is a is a key risk uh, in, for some of the areas. And, and that, I mean, in the US, they've sort of moved some of what was tech, so the Facebooks of this, this world into, into sort of the comm sector. So it's not technically tech anymore. Um but regulation in that space is going to be big. Uh, I think that's going to be a big issue. Um, obviously, in the US, with the likes of Amazon and, and you know, Donald Trump's made a few swipes at, him, at them on Twitter, uh, amongst everyone else he makes swipes at. Um, there could be a, an issue there. You, you, you don't know. Um, there is that sort of monopoly dominance that they have, which could result in a breakup um i doubt that's going to be an issue in the short term but longer term regulation i think will also be longer term valuations is the fundamental thing though and that's why you, yeah. you, you this sell-off at the moment that you've seen very hard to see where the bottom of it will actually be um i think uh you know in the uk and and europe you're going to see uh digital taxes come in uh, that might happen globally as well uh, we might get more on that uh, in a few years time so I I think it's not all one way for these tech giants, um, but I think also just the the sheer pace of evolution of ideas and, 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 and then bringing this into the commercial world says there's going to be opportunity.
0: Okay. And um, just finally, would you say it's better to get exposure via dedicated fund, um, such as the one Walter Price runs, or is it better maybe to get a a broad fund, perhaps like the Linsall Train Fund you mentioned, um, and have a bit of exposure, but not too much exposure?
2: So I think um, I'd take the uh, manager's uh, view on that. if If he's saying, you know, you know, it's going to perhaps turn around mid-next year. If you want direct exposure, perhaps wait till then. Uh, if you want a broader exposure, then the Linzal train is a good example of how mm. a fund manager... So
0: manages- train global equity. It is, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh,
2: um, how, how that... Um, you know how they're sort of looking at it, and 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 tech won't just be tech funds. It's not just about the. It, it's not just about the tech company. It's also the picks and shovels. It's it's the how companies utilise that tech. How a company uses cloud computing to get a competitive advantage. Do they have a competitive advantage anyway? That you know Amazon might not be interested in competing on uh, or entering because they just don't have the, the legacy unless they buy the company itself. So you do need to just always remember. You know, don't just buy the sector. Buy. The, the companies that can sort of benefit from it, the chain, if you like, and I think that's where Lindsay Train would come in and, and you know play the digital theme.
0: Thank you, Adrian. Some really interesting insights into markets in 2018, and helpful pointers on what might lie ahead in 2019. That brings us to the end of today's show, but see today's Investors Chronicle or the website for our full roundup of fund manager outlooks in 2019 on areas including global equity income and growth, UK income and growth, emerging markets and bonds. Also see this week's fund section for some suggestions on how to tap into dividends from across the world. Thank you for listening and have a very Merry Christmas.